During the whole making of X-Men and the casting of X-Men, I was there in the production office. Remember, you don't need to scream for help when Banshees are around Was it supposed to be Jean or was it supposed to be Madeline? I drew that image and a deliberate hint at things to come. What makes Marvel Legends so special? Just the partnership with Marvel, you know, continuing to work with Jesse Falcon. This is your special guest host, Mr. Sinister. <laughs> you would never put Storm in a ponytail. That would be well, weird. You could, but that would be weird. <laughs> but giving it to Jean kind of made her the girl next door that everybody could talk to. When I met Stan, he was very gracious and 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 very kind. This is the Power of X Men podcast. I am your host, Dayspring. Hope you survive the experience. Welcome to Power of X Men. This is our second episode recap of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and we have a very special guest. This is someone that I have been speaking with since day one, and we are so lucky to have him on the podcast today. This marks his first appearance as his mutant name, and we are just so happy to welcome the high-spirited and vivacious Madrox. Hey, everyone. I'm so glad to be here. It's so exciting to be on my favorite podcast. Stop! About, I know. I know. There are a lot of podcasts out there, but this is definitely my favorite. So <laughs> um, it's really cool to be on here to be able to talk about comics in general, the X-Men, the X-Men universe, but also Falcon and the Winter Soldier, because I think it's a really good series. And I think this was a really good episode, which I'm sure we'll get into in great depth. <laughs> Um, we, we don't need to take a deep dive yet, but this is really cool for me. Oh, you know, we are going to do a deep dive, especially if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know, some episodes are like absurdly long. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, it's finally spring weather here in Minnesota, so we don't have to bundle up and we got some rain last week, which is making things green up outside. So you know that maybe this isn't false spring this time. We had false spring a few weeks ago. Then we had winter again. But hopefully this will stick this time. I am a Florida boy. So the notion of false spring has never been in my vocabulary until I moved up north. And I never even really thought about it because my work always kept me traveling. But because 2020, 2021 quarantine... I have been locked in my apartment and anytime I'm like, oh, it's warm. Spring is here. The next day it's like 27 degrees again. Oh yeah. Then it's just absolute shit outside. And you uh, cancel those plans to (laughs) ports and the t-shirts out of storage. And you just wait until that run of days that are really nice. And then maybe you allow yourself to hope. When I was like, hey, you know, we'd love to have you on the podcast. I was like, choose a mutant name. And you chose Madrox. Why? Okay, it was super hard for me. (laughs) Main, totally mainstream, but I also didn't want to go totally obscure because I'm a relatively new X-Men fan in terms of all of the mutants. I've loved the animated series and the characters that spun out of that growing up, but I really didn't start reading them in depth until a couple years ago. And something that I started reading last year was Peter David's X-Factor with volume three and X-Factor Investigates. And I really loved Multiple Man. 
And I'm still in the midst of reading that because I always overcommit to different titles that I'm reading and there are always a million of them. But I whipped open the handy dandy deluxe edition handbook of the Marvel universe and just started searching for inspiration because he didn't come to mind immediately. So I just leafed through things and I let you know as I was deciding in my thought process, I really wanted something zany at first, but Hellcow is a vampire and not a mutant. <laughs> so I couldn't go with Hellcow, even though I think that is an excellent one. So if someone wants to pick that up on a vampiric podcast. <laughs> um, so it, it was a lot of fun for me to search for that mutant name and figure out what, what clicked with me, what spoke with me. And I think that Jamie really did. And I really like where his story arc is going right now where I'm reading, he's in the future. So he is 80 years in the future with a grown up Layla. So I'm excited to see where that goes after that story arc too, because there's so much that comes after it. It's just a phenomenal series that you wanna keep reading. So you're at Messiah Complex and that is such a great issue. I, I don't wanna spoil anything if you haven't gotten there yet, but there are two scenes that come in mind with that, but I'm forgetting where they, they fall in, in Messiah Complex sure. story. So I don't want to spoil it, but I can see that. You kind of look like Jamie too. You got that <laughs> nice big smile and the, the hair parted. Yeah, I see it. Well, welcome. Thank you. And I'm glad I have a mutant name. So yeah. here we are. Well, this is the first of many appearances, I'm sure on Power of X-Men. I am looking at your shelves. I'm I, I actually kind of blown away that you're kind of a newish reader because you appear so seasoned to me. And your shelves, like that is a badass collection of omnibus you have behind you. Yeah, so I'm making the stimulus work for me. Uh, <laughs> and I don't have money to get the original issues. I have other series, not X-Men, but um, well, one of them is X-Men related. I have the full run of Alpha Flight. So I have that physically in each individual copy, but there's no way I can afford the full X-Men. So I got the omnibuses because I really like how they stick related issues in there. It's not just reading through them digitally one at a time. They do a good job of packaging things together so you get full complete story arcs. And I really like that facet because I like knowing everything. If I'm gonna take a deep dive into something, I'm going to take a deep dive. And I don't wanna to have to revisit it because Six months later, I figure out, oh, this issue actually fits in with this storyline that I passed so long ago. So these are a great way to catch up on things and sort of know what's going on within the whole scope of the X universe. So I'm currently in volume two back there. Okay. Okay. I don't collect the omnibuses. I have the Marvel Unlimited app through digital because I'm in New York and I have very limited space. Right. I gave up on print issues a while ago, but I am starting to make sure I have a robust trade paperback library. So the omnibuses, they connect the dots for a lot of stuff, is what you're saying. Yes, and that's why I decided to invest in them as well, because they do connect the dots. And back there, there's also the X-Men Classic one, which is backup stories and additional information that they inserted into the classics, when they were reprinting those issues, they noticed that they had gaps and storytelling gaps as they got further along. They obviously saw, oh, that actually connects to this, but it happened off panel. So we're going to go back and fix that stuff. So that omnibus is just all that additional information that they drew and wrote brand new when they were doing the classic line and reissues. Oh. 
Yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Right? I didn't know that. No, I really didn't know that about the omnibuses. So are you reading the current books as they're being published? I am. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm reading because of the Ten of Swords crossover event. I started mm-hmm. reading all the X titles because I wanted the complete story. And whatever your feelings are about that crossover, one way or another, I know there are a lot of people that are on both sides. They loved it. They thought it was unnecessary. And then there are people in the middle. I probably fall in the middle. I'm in the middle too, by the way. Really fun. Some of it was excellent. And some of it felt is this really necessary for a crossover event? Did we really need this aspect thrown in there? <coughs> Hellions. Right. <laughs> but regardless, it drew me into the other books. I was already reading Excalibur and the X-Men main title. So then I got exposure to the different teams and I'm reading all of them. Right now, the one that's probably my least favorite is X-Force, uh, Beast, and... <coughs> Beast. Yeah, Beast in his real questionable bulge that's he's rocking for the Hellfire Gala. I can't. I can't with that. It's so gross. Like, why? What, he's none such of a, us I hate him. None of us consented for that. <laughs> just there. So, and he's right there when you walk in. He's right. It's right there. It's like you can't even avoid it. He's probably checking your ID with a flashlight and flashing it up <laughs> as he's doing it oh my to highlight God. it. I, you know, I don't, I'm indifferent to X-Force. I think Beast, you know how I feel about Beast. I fucking hate right. I roll. But I'm enjoying the books overall. You know, Ten of Swords, again, I'm somewhat in the middle. I love Hellions. I think Hellions is a great book. It was shoehorned into that crossover. But I was just um, on vacation with my cousin and some friends joined for the afternoon. And one of them is a huge X-Men fan. And he's here like, oh, I'm going through Ten of Swords and I love it so much so far. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, if you're a meticulous like nerd, you know, you're going to be looking at things hypercritically as we do. But then Marvel has to appease those casual readers who kind of come in and they want to cross over and they don't have what we have, which is that crossover fatigue or oh they're trying to insert a book here so they can you know make more money or whatever like they're not as cynical as we are i agree i uh, really got into modern comics and reading the new titles back in i think it was summer of 2015 where it was oh what was the crossover event it was uh, um god emperor doom (laughs) uh it's secret wars Secret Wars. Yeah, Secret Wars. There we go. Thank you for that. So I know what we're talking about sometimes. um, Secret Wars. And that was my first big exposure. I'd started reading individual titles that spring, late springish. And then I saw this crossover event and I thought this is going to be so cool. I can read all these different limited series. And most of them were just not great. Um, But it... The great thing about crossover events is that you get exposure to so many different artists and authors. So you get to understand what you like and what you don't like as a new fan due to crossover events. And it is baptism by fire. But you get those people that you start being attached to and you think this is my niche within comics. I want to follow this writer as they're going through things or this artist, not my style, 
I don't know if I necessarily jive with what they're doing. Well, yo, you you started during Secret Wars. I mean, that's literally being thrown into a very convoluted story. I mean, even seasoned readers such as myself, when it was pubbing, it was kind of hard to follow along on sort of the world building that Hickman was doing. Because of course, as everyone knows, Hickman loves to do his world building. I'm curious though, which character did you attach yourself to or which writer and artist did you attach yourself to once you were going through that crossover? I really like the storytelling with the Fantastic Four and then they put them on ice, you know, they, they locked them away for a few years. Those pesky Fox Wright movie deals. I know, and that was in the middle of that mess. Mm-hmm. So they decided, well, anything that's really attached to Fox right now, you're going away for a while. I did. And because I think that was around the time that the newest Fantastic Four movie was coming out. So they didn't want to give them exposure for that. Um, Around that time, I think it tied in with like one issue or something like that was Howard the Duck by Chip Zdarsky. I uh, love Chip's humor and his writing. So it was really fun for me to find that and then build out from there and see what he was attached to and explore that. And I was living in Chicago at the time, so I went to C2E2. And it was really fun to really get exposed to Marvel through their panels and things around that time too. So you got to hear the people talk who were creating stuff. And as they teased upcoming titles, you were able to visually see their teasers on their PowerPoint and them talking about why they were excited about it and why you should be excited about it. So you're relatively a new reader in the scheme of things. What was your first memory of Marvel? When was the first time like Marvel entered the conversation for you? Were you very little? Were you an adult? I mean, obviously you've heard of Wolverine and stuff like that growing up, but right. what was that? When did that spark begin for you is what I guess I'm trying to. I'm glad you asked that because Many of my stories were I was digging around in a bin in my basement, and I was, and something else from that will come up later in this episode, but I was digging around in a bin in my basement. First of all, I'm just so, like, in awe that you have a basement. (laughs) Again, (laughs) Florida Boy, we never had a basement. We have tornadoes here, so... (laughs) Oh my god, sorry, don't mean to laugh. I mean, we have hurricanes back home. Right. So, same but no time, basements, no basements. The communities adapt to what you need. It can be some sort of construction relevancy. In California, you're protected against earthquakes. You're really, you have a great infrastructure. Here we have basements because you could get blown over by nature at any point. Oh my God. Right? I know. <laughs> so I found probably my first Marvel connection and it is a golden everything workbook. My God, look at that. On the cover for our listeners, we have Hulk very prominent. It's the late 80s. Hulk is the go-to thing along with Thing and Spider-Man. So you really have the big three for kids growing up in the late 80s that are tangentially interested in Marvel. Yeah. So what is that? What is it? It it, it is for learning. um, There are connect the dots in here, matching games. The back cover is just... You know, oh my God, it's the alphabet there. But I found an activity I did, and I must have been about three. And the prompt is Spider Woman, and 
you saying, what door should she go in? And she has some choices here. She can okay. go to the theater, the gym, or the museum. So you have to select one based on what you understand is in the picture and draw a line and then write it on the door. <laughs> Being a little gay, I chose her to go to, to the theater. So. Guns. I love that. This was my first exposure to Marvel um, throughout the years, of course. The and you were three years old. You were three years old. Probably around three when this came out. Uh, so, yeah. And it, it says it came out in 1980, but judging by my handwriting and stuff like that. I <laughs> three when I was writing theater in Blue Crayon. Oh, my God. Have some culture in her life. Do you have fond memories of Spider-Woman? Do you have uh, a love for her right now because of this activity book? Not really, no. What really struck me, and I posted it on my Instagram a while ago, is uh, uh, my first comics that I had. And one of them was a Fantastic Four comic and included in there on the team at the time was She-Hulk. I loved She-Hulk. That's still the Fantastic Four team for me is one that includes... She-Hulk, because she's such a fun character. She is not mainline Hulk, Bruce Banner Hulk. I don't need him in my life. I need She-Hulk in my life. She's, need her. she's strong. She's smart. She's witty. She rates the West Coast Avengers with Wasp in terms of how attractive all the dudes are. So it, that was a running theme. And there's a really funny tweet about that as well. Um, so it, she is who I attach to in terms of a female superhero. And I think I made a good choice in terms of that. I, I, I too loved She-Hulk growing up. I had the Toy Biz figure that was released in that limited Hulk wave. I had a card of hers. I'm not remembering from what series it was, but I remember just being so enamored by her, spiritually enamored. And have you read the Charles Soule She-Hulk? I have not, no. You will love it. You will absolutely love it. It is worth your time. And I think it's only like 12 issues. Oh, that's not bad at all. No, it's a really good series. You should check it out. So who is your favorite Marvel character? And I'll Her ask you who's your favorite X-Men yeah. as well. Just yeah, yeah we'll, go to the, we'll get to that. I think Hercules is my favorite. Because oh, and he's right there behind you. He's right here behind me. So he's a character with flaws. And I think that when you're a god or a demigod, it's very easy for people to write you as perfect and you have no cause to ever fail, but he does. And it's a slow recognition through the years, especially in the modern series of him recognizing his weaknesses and accommodating them and figuring out how to work around those. Plus there's a good deal of humor whenever he's involved. So even in the Thor series, when he would come up in the eighties and his own limited series, there's a good deal of humor injected there mm -hmm. where he thinks very highly of himself and he's always taken down a peg. So <laughs> um, plus he is a muscle man and he's down for anything with anyone. So what's not to love about Hercules? <laughs> Did you read him in Dazzler's Extreme X-Men, his alt-world with, uh, with Wolverine? Yes, I did. <laughs> just recently read that. 
And I'm a fan of basically everything where he's popped up. And I can't say that about many superheroes because there are some superheroes that may depend on the writer or the time in which it's published, but some of them just don't speak to you. They can be someone you really like, but then you hit a rough patch with them. Oh yeah, I mean. So I've had a perfect relationship with Hercules. <laughs> had a perfect relationship with many other superheroes. And I'm interested to see what happens with him in the current Guardians of the Galaxy comics oh, so where he is. Because he's not big beefy Hercules, but he's still Hercules. So I'm interested to see how they're going to utilize him moving forward because there's a lot to work with there, but there's also a lot of baggage that can potentially come with a character like him who's been around since the 60s. Dude, and now that I'm thinking about it, you kind of look like Hercules as well with like the light <laughs> eyes, the smile and the hair. So wait, yeah, is not that the musculature. But... <laughs> well, we haven't met each other IRL, but I'm looking behind you. That's a DK guide to the X-Men, right? Yes. Have... I found this used on clearance. I had that back in like the 2000s. Yes. And it is so funny to read it right now because oh, I think it stops at X2. So oh it, there are just some bad things in there in terms of like cringe or like, you don't know where this series is going. You do not see X3 on the horizon over there. No one saw X3 on the horizon. No. Not even Brett Ratner. No. <laughs> he didn't even read that script that he shot. Yeah, that's just wild. So wait, let, 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 let's, let's think of X-Men. What, who is your favorite X-Man then? Gambit. It's always been Gambit. Going yes. to the animated series, it was all Gambit all the time. And I've read the, his first limited series that I know that has been talked about on the podcast. And it's that series so much. So good. So I'm trying to work my way amongst all the other titles I'm reading. I'm trying to read through the Gambit stuff sequentially. Okay. And the story with Rogue and how it all ties together. So I have everything ready to go for it. I just need to remember that I should throw in those issues into the mix. I reread that Gambit mini, that first Gambit mini, like probably every six months. I acknowledge the flaws with it, but I think it's so atmospheric. The art is beautiful. I think we got a very atypical superhero origin for the time. And when I read it, when I was a little day spring, I had never been to New Orleans and I had never encountered a hero like Gambit before. So it was, it just hit me at the right time. But Gambit, and, and I say this quite a few times, he's a character who, who is style over substance. And I'm totally fine to have a character who is very stylized in his appearance and in his vocabulary and his stories. Yes, absolutely. It's someone you can have fun with. Yeah. You can have fan and have fun. And you don't feel weighed down by being a fan of Gambit. There are cringe things that happened in his history where you're reading it. And right now it seems that's a little creepy. I don't know if that would fly in today's editorial world, but back then it did. And you have to live with your characters as they're written. We can't go back and remove things like that. It's part of the character's development. And it, a great thing that I think happens once in a while is that they are able to take a storyline or an arc and look back at something like that. 
and admit that it was bad. It was not, especially 30 years on, hey, this doesn't look great anymore. And you can work with the character in world to acknowledge that, accept that, and make amends. So maybe we'll see something like that for Gambit at some point in time. Yeah, and as we're going to discuss with this episode of The Falcon, The Winter Soldier, you do need to confront tough conversations. And they need yes. to happen in order so you can evolve the conversation. But wait, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here because sure. <laughs> we can just dive right in. I have so many feels. But so who you're, you're going back, you're reading all of these different books. I'm curious, which writer is really resonating with you right now? I really like Claremont. And I middle of the Claremont run. I think he set up so many things that we still draw upon today. There is barely an X issue that touches on something that didn't originate from that creative period. Mm -hmm. It's so important and intrinsic in terms of reading to, for me to start there because I like context. That's my number one strength. If you're going to do a strengths finder, my number one strength is context. So I need to know where things came from. And for modern X-Men stuff, it really is Claremont. And seeing how things developed organically over time, that it wasn't just something that they put out and they said, this is the best thing ever. Um, A great example, I think, is Days of Future Past. Because when you go back and read it, because we have the movie, and I read it then, and you're really surprised at, how short it is. You think this epic and it's going to be 300 pages of comics that you need to ingest. And it's not, but it's so important in retrospect and in terms of storytelling that I, I don't know if they planned for that when they were writing it. I don't know if they knew, you know what, we're going to draw upon this in five or 10 years. They were just doing a creative story but the way that everything developed organically is really important, I feel, in the X universe and understanding where things have come from. And there are a number of ways that you can achieve that. Of course, we have the internet, fantastic resources. So if you don't want to read everything and you're not some sort of masochist like myself, you can, you can get the easy answers. You can get it condensed down for you and you're probably okay with it. There are reference books. I mean, I have the encyclopedias and the handbook and things like that. So you can understand things that happened. The handbook came out in 85, I think the deluxe edition did. So if you want ancient history in terms of Marvel stuff, you can go to something like that and understand how things got to where they were in the mid eighties and then fill in the gaps from there. And of course, reading everything is the biggest answer, the ultimate answer to how you understand things, but it's going to take you a long time, which is what I'm discovering. If you're trying to keep up with the current comics and also do some back reading, it's a very encompassing hobby and you have to really dedicate yourself to it. I talked about this with Zeb Wells, which was back in like the nineties where you did not have the gift of the internet or these resources available for you. You could pick up one of those handbooks, sure. But most of the times you were going to your local comic book store and you're picking up an issue that's probably midway through an arc and you don't know what happened before. 
and you're just going to read it and you're going to pray that next time you come to the comic book store, the next issue will be there. And it made sourcing that material for yourself very precious. It stays with you and it sparked a curiosity. And yeah, I mean, I think the internet right now is like such a great resource to go through things and it connects the dots on a lot of stuff because I go back and I read stories and I'm like, oh, that's what happened. Or that's how this happened because I didn't get a chance to fully read the entire saga. I had the DK book or I read something on Wikipedia, but actually seeing it executed and seeing that chemistry between the characters, it's, it's magic, you it know? Is. And the Asgardian Wars, which is our book club for April 11th, Ah, it's, it's somewhere there. Yeah, I have mine somewhere yeah. here too. I seen those scenes. Have you read it? Yes, I have. Okay, seeing those scenes between Rachel and Cyclops. Oh my god! Yes, you, know what I mean? you can read about it. You can see the images, but it's actually seen. It. It's seen her at the end, like latching onto his arm and them walking together with Maddie pregnant. It's it's really it's really fun. So I'm glad you're a masochist. <laughs> yes, and. Even and speaking about Asgardian Wars, the underlying tension you feel as you're reading through that and what she's feeling, you can't get that from a summary. No. But reading through it, you can see where she is trying to make up her mind. Do I do this? Do I explicitly say, hey, yo, you're my dad? <laughs> or do I keep it? It's so good. It is so well written and it's something that comes out on the actual pages that you can't find a substitute for. And, you know, on, on a larger subject, going back and reading a lot of these eighties issues, Rachel has such a prominent role. I mean, I, obviously I knew that, but seeing it executed, like she has an emotional arc and even in days of future present, I believe it is when she manifests the Phoenix and Jean sees it and Jean confronts her about it. You know, of course I've seen that scene before. Of course I've read about it, but actually seeing it play out, you're like, holy shit, Jean is awful in this. And, but, yeah. but at the same time, you kind of empathize because Jean's immediate reaction, which I had never seen before was, how can you be my daughter? We are the same age. And Jean is coming off of just being resurrected, but Rachel is coming from the future where she lost her mom. It, it's just so, it's just so much emotion. And I think you do miss out on that if you're just reading these summaries or if you're just doing the guides, you know, to yeah. sum up what we've been talking about. Yeah, so uh, if I could summarize the arc that we just covered, it's if you have the time and <laughs> take a deep dive, read however you can. You can read it on Marvel Unlimited. You can get the omnibuses. You can get trade paperbacks. They're accessible now, which is wonderful for new comics fans. The accessibility is huge. And I think that there are such affordable options now too. You can find what works for you. And oh, yeah. that's really important. I feel in terms of growing our fandom and being a very open fan base because it, it's easy for me jumping into a podcast like this, which is very X-Men centric, obviously, to have imposter syndrome and feel, oh, I don't, I don't know everything. So why am I here? Why am I talking about this? But people don't have to feel like that. And that's the awesome thing about this podcast and others that are within the family 
um, because I think that your podcast and others really build upon one each other and build one another up, which is so important. And you make everyone feel included. Oh, thank That's you. Something that fans really need, especially if it's all new to you, you need that safe space. And I feel that there are a few podcasts that create that safe space and you can give them shout outs. You know them personally yeah. and had them on the show. You've been on their shows. It's really that community there where people can go, they can listen and feel like they can connect with someone, be it a guest or a host or even a concept. I, I love what you just said because this podcast was born as a reaction to that vitriolic nature of the message boards where you had, you know, knowledge gatekeepers and, you know, you can spend your, I've been reading X-Men for like 30 years at this point, but I still don't know everything. <laughs> right. You know, I have not read every single page and for someone to come at you for a comment or something, you're like, no, I don't want to do that. And you also miss the opportunity of sharing your fandom with someone else. And by the way, there are things that you're going to say tonight on this like five hour podcast episode <laughs> <laughs> that I'm going to be like, Oh, I didn't know that. And you're going to give me some knowledge and vice versa, because that's the entire point of this community. Right. And one of the things right. that I feel I missed out because so Guano, I grew up in Miami, like we did not go outside and play, you know, after like 8 p.m. during the 80s in Miami. But also I didn't have a local comic book store. I didn't have friends at my school. Well, I didn't have friends, period. But I didn't have like a group of people I could sit down with and really talk about X-Men with. Like it was my cousin and I who kind of like shared the cards. Mm -hmm. But I didn't get an opportunity to sh see him like every single day. So I'm like maybe once or twice a week, but I had so much knowledge and so much passion for these figures, for these trading cards, for these video games, for these animated TV shows. And there was really no one around there to talk about it with. And that's why I just love podcasts like house of X, the X wife X reads, you know, and the, and the list can go on, but everyone just wants to talk nerd. And it's so, yeah. especially during a global pandemic, you know what I mean? Yeah, when it, that element of the local comic book store was removed from us for yeah. so long and comics were paused. We weren't getting new stuff. So we read the old stuff and then we had thoughts about it and then we couldn't roll in to our local store and vent about it to some poor employee who probably has heard it a dozen times before. <laughs> but they're as enthusiastic about it as you are because they're working there, they're in that environment, they live for that. And then you find your people, your tribe to really talk to and reflect on what you're reading. So yeah, podcasts are really filling that void right now. And I think it's a new mechanism for us too that will carry over. It's not a COVID exclusive thing. It's something where we have found a need for it no matter where you are, because there are people who are in the same situation you were in when you were growing up where they don't have people to talk to you about it, or they have thoughts, but they want to hear someone else's thoughts and podcasts are there for them. Now they don't need to be in that vacuum. They can at least feel that there is a voice and then they can interact online so they can listen to the podcast and then they can chat with you on Instagram and 
then they can find other people who agree with their comments and they can talk back and forth. It's a really fantastic thing that we have going on in the past year. Why don't you have your own podcast? <laughs> I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you talk right now. And I'm just like in awe, like <laughs> we're going to get you a spinoff. Yeah. So, so we know who your favorite writer is. We know who your favorite X-Men is your favorite Marvel character. Who is your favorite artist? John Byrne. Oh yeah, absolutely. So good. Oh my gosh. And that stems from Alpha Flight, which oh, I yeah. four other X-related titles. I read Alpha Flight and the way he told that story because Alpha Flight does fall off later mm-hmm. in the it becomes sort of a hot mess express. But when Byrne was doing the art and doing the scripting, it was such a tight, good story. And I forget how many issues, I think it's 22, the first 22 issues or something. Mm-hmm. The burn era where he got to play in that sandbox. And it was just so great. And then to see him doing art in X-Men and getting to really experience that joy I had with Alpha Flight, but now with a new cast of characters, it's so cool. It's the best of both worlds for me. And some of his character renditions are just the benchmark for the characters it's who you think of it's the outfit you think of when you think of a certain character so especially with that the early 80s late 70s early 80s when you think of an x-man you're thinking of how burn visualized it and how it came out on the page I'm sorry, I'm so mesmerized by how you're talking. <laughs> Listeners, this is a backdoor pilot for Madrox. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just want to put it out there. Yeah, no, I, I love Byrne very much. I think he, I mean, his art just has a presence on the page. I haven't read those first issues of Alpha Flight, though. I want to go back. Good. There's so much that happens there, especially behind the scenes. Yes, and... Uh... It's written so well, and I really like 80s dramas. Um, I got addicted to watching DVDs of Dallas in college, and now I'm working my way through Dynasty. So you have that soapiness in some of the storylines where it is drawing you in, and you need to read that next issue to figure out what's going on with these characters. What's going to happen with North Star in the next issue? So it's such a tightly written story and you can tell that he sat down and plotted it sort of like the current x books are plotted they know where they're going you have no idea yeah no idea if we are just at a waypoint right now if this is a one-off story that they have stuck in because they need to play for time for another series to catch up but you can tell it's conceptually all connected somehow and someday we will get that big picture view of everything. Do you know, it's so funny because when we were interviewing Zeb Wells and Jordan D. White, they talked about Hickman and compared him to Claremont. And I have complained a couple of times on this podcast that there's so much plot going on in the X-Books right now that I, I can't keep up. I wish they would stop planting seeds and just let them come to fruition. But that's such a like the worst perspective to have because Hickman isn't just doing a couple stories and then peace out. He's trying to define an era in the way that we got Claremont. 
and he wants to set up seeds for other writers to source so they can un unearth them eventually one day and create their own story with it. And that to me is just brilliant. And that's a recipe for success with these books. And you just mentioned something that I thought was so incredibly brilliant, which is the soapiness of the stories, right? And I think that's what drew a lot of people into the 90s X-Men. I know we look back on the 90s X-Men and we think it's a very gluttonous, <laughs> you know, way of telling stories. But I also think the incestuous nature of some of these mutants and their relationships and who's connected to who and who's dating who and who's angry at who and which characters are like interacting on panel. That's kind of like magic. It you is. You know what I mean? For the, for the reader. It is. And that allows you to really go on a journey with whoever your favorite character is, because you know, if they're not featured in this issue, they're going to come back the next. So if this is not a Cyclops issue, you know he's going to get his due in one or two issues. You'll get to catch up with his storyline, and then you switch to another one. So it really makes you a well-rounded fan, and it helps you be knowledgeable about everything that's going on. It's not a solo title. This is a group title. You know what you're signing up for if you're reading X-Men. You're not reading the solo series to figure out, hey, this is not just Cyclops' story. This is everyone's story. You know what I've recently rediscovered since this podcast started was when I go back and reread some issues, it'll be like Uncanny X-Men, you know, 333, and then 334 has nothing to do with right. that story. And, and I'm not saying those specific issues. I'm just pulling out numbers out of my head. Right. Yes. But, but I, I'm just like, oh my God, like, where does this story end? You know, and you have to go back and then, oh no, it ends in Wolverine number 83. So. Right. And you're like, what the like, shit what the is this? That would not happen in today's world. No. But that was part of the magic. And that was part of, you know, that curiosity and, and going out and searching for that story or maybe that story never came to an end in your head and it's still open and it's, super magical i don't you know it's, it's happened with a couple of stories and then i've read the ending to them i was like oh it was better in my memory womp, womp. right and that's the cool thing about the current x-men legends that they're putting out is that they are able to revisit those loose ends and tie some of them up i love x-men legends it it was so interesting for me as a new x fan to read that first issue and to uh, then I work my way back and I'm like, why was this a thing? And then you figure out why it was a thing. <laughs> and they actually do a really good job explaining it within that book as well. So if you are a new fan and you think, this is sort of cool, I want to read this, you're not left totally in the dark either. They're able to just throw in a few boxes within that issue of X-Men Legends to so you know what's going on. You get contextually, why is this sort of an issue? And then you can always dig into it but you don't need to, to understand yeah. the storyline that's happening. So which, which book or which series would you recommend to a new reader? That would be kind of like a gateway drug into the X-Men. Sure. I have a suggestion and then I'm going to throw it back to you to help me with okay. another answer. So Giant Size 1 is where yeah. the era really begins. You don't need to read the 60s X-Men you really don't. You can if you want to, but you don't need to. 
But I really like the team that comes along in Giant Size 1 and they roll forward with that. It's an easy starting point. But there are X-Men for every sort of fan. There, um, let me think, if you're looking for a detective story or a mystery, you're going to go with X-Factor Volume 3 because it's sort of noir and you get sucked in and it's long arcing storylines. You have to really commit yourself because some of these things last for 20, 30 issues and it comes up again and you sort of reference back to something. And there are other titles that are out there in terms of maybe someone is more inclined to fantasy. Right now, if you are a fantasy fan, you would read Excalibur, I think. If you are a horror fan, I think you would probably read Hellions, especially with the latest issues that have just come out. Oh my God, when Sinister is like, help, this Chucky doll's attacking me in reference to Arcade. (laughs) (laughs) I genuinely laughed out loud. You know what I mean when I read that? Like, it's just so funny. So I 100% agree with you on that. And even going back, you can probably give some recommendations for different genres too, because- are different genres represented within different X books or even different periods of the same X book. Yeah. I think, you know, in more general terms, what I always recommend to people is Grant Morrison's new X-Men. And because I think once you open up that book, that first page with Cyclops and Wolverine taking down the Sentinel, I mean, Morrison, they are a master of their craft they know how to tell a story but the one thing you learn and i got an mfa in writing one thing you learn is you want to teach your reader how to read your story from the get-go and morrison they do that so well they let you know what the story is ultimately about in those first few pages but i also think it's a starting point for emma's character not to say that she wasn't brilliant in generation x and before but the Emma we have today is a reaction to Morrison's X-Men. And I think you can read that beginning, middle and end and get a really great science fiction story that has a lot of soap opera elements about the X-Men. You know, I don't want to recommend this because I absolutely hate the writer, but I think Whedon's Astonishing Run is a really great, more mainstream starting point because you have kitty who kind of like comes in and she's a vehicle in which you know the the readers can empathize and see the mutants for but you know i'm always perplexed when marvel says oh we're creating this crossover so new readers can kind of like hop on i think they did that with avx for example and avx for me shouldn't have been a station where you get new readers it's sort of a terminal where a certain story ends in this case in this case the messiah story so it's always kind of tricky but i really like the idea that someone can just pick up a random comic book and just be so intrigued by what they read and they can just go with it. And I, I love what you also said about the different genres. I never really thought about that, that there would be a reader out there who would be like, well, no, I'm going to gravitate more towards fantasy, which by the way, Teeny Howard is a brilliant fantasy writer. I, I'm not yes. crazy about Excalibur. There's some things about Excalibur that I'm just like, eh, not for me, but talking about her writing, her character development, the world building she has done, She's phenomenal. 
Yes, she is. And what a brilliant she, writer. She's one of those writers where from now on, every time I see her name attached to something, I will read it. Yeah. That sort of writer for me. And her and Hickman complement each other so well. I have said this countless times before. I think Hickman can be very stale, you know, kind of like a little, a little stiff there. And I think Teeny probably opens up the floodgates. And when they meet, it's such a perfect balance. Empire, the Empire X-Men crossover uh, tie-in, I thought was phenomenal. I thought it was so great. I think they, I agree. they did themselves so well. And especially the, the books they wrote for Ten of Swords, which I'm forgetting, was it Stasis that they were both the writer for? I think one? they were. I think it was Stasis. It was Stasis. But yeah, no, I, I agree. They, they, Teeny Howard is phenomenal. Is there anything else about the X-Men you want to discuss? I don't think so right now, but it will come up. I'm okay. sure we will get into it. <laughs> okay. So we're already like, what, like 40 minutes into this episode. <laughs> and we haven't even discussed <laughs> the Falcon. And hey, the we're getting Soldier. there. We're I, getting I think, there. I think we're getting there right about now. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on the series so far? The series, I was really excited. So I was skeptical about WandaVision. Oh, were you? I was because they weren't my favorite characters in the Avengers. The Avengers were my uh, gateway. When I was little, I would read random Avengers issues. Oh, that's interesting. So, so the Avengers- You're a rare my, breed here. I know. The Avengers were my gateway. And I would read them once in a while. And of course, with the MCU, you're watching and they weren't that prominent. I did like the development where they were on the lamb together. And- um, that was lovely. I think that set up with how I felt going into the series where I'm like, I really want to see them successful as a couple. I want to see how it's playing out after the tragedy of his death. How are they going to write this? That was the exciting portion for me. And I got sucked into it, of course, like we all did. With Were one- you a clown? Were you a clown with your, with your fan theories? A little. I was like half clown. Like I definitely had the nose and the wig, but I didn't have the pancake makeup yet. <laughs> oh my God. So Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I have loved their interactions as two characters within past movies. We saw them in Civil War with their great comedy bit in the car. Oh, and yeah. just those little tastes we got of them interacting. And when they were together and um it was just, I hate you in the airport. Wonderful. So I was really looking forward to their dynamic now that we don't have Steve Rogers on the scene. And I've been avoiding any sort of spoiler so far. At the end of the first episode, I wasn't even aware before I saw it that U.S. Agent was a character in this season of the show. Oh, wow. You really have been avoiding, I mean, not even just spoilers, just news. Like casting news or yeah. anything. Yes, I have avoided it like the plague. I've avoided it like the COVID. <laughs> yeah, so your impressions on that first episode then? Especially since you saw U.S. Agent at the end. I mean, he's Captain America, but I mean, the yeah. character being, you know. John Walker. Um, Johnny. <laughs> not my cap. Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag not my cap. 
I thought that it was really good. I thought it went in a different direction than I anticipated it would in a good way. I think they did some remarkable work with Sam's character and his family. It was so important. I didn't know I needed to see that until I saw it in yeah. the first episode in terms of the background we get on the Avengers if they're not paid. They're contracted by the government, basically. And the systemic racism that still exists, even though he is a globally prominent figure. Oh, I agree. The, the way in which they showed that, and it was explicit. It was not implied. It was explicit racism based on the color of his skin in at least two instances in that episode. It was in the bank and it was in the final scene where they rolled out this white dude as the new Captain America. It was so good to see that. It felt so good that it was acknowledged and it was a part of the storytelling. Yeah, it's very bold that Marvel is doing that. And by the way, the fact that I have to say it's very bold just goes to show how bullshit that is. Because Absolutely. this is something that's happening. I'm just glad that Marvel is doing something that's emblematic of real life. That yes. these are things that are happening. And there is so much layers to this. And especially in this episode in particular with the cop scene where you're like, oh my God. And even within the own community where they call him Black Falcon. Black Falcon, it, yes. Like it's, it's just, it's so interesting. The layers that Marvel is taking. And, and, and I said this on the last episode with Warpath Dylan. I can't believe how smart the show is. And it's not that I doubt it that Marvel was ever going to deliver something that was high concept, especially after WandaVision. But WandaVision is very much grief and drama. This is like thought provoking. And I think there are people like you and me who are exposed to these conversations daily, who are part of a community that is exchanging ideas on how we can evolve our thinking. But there are other people out there who are just not part of the conversation. And I think what this does to quote Tina Fey from Bossy Pants, it's putting spinach in ice cream and they are digesting these narratives. And maybe it's not something they're going to talk about or fully conceptualize in their heads, but it's now going to be part of the norm that, yeah, wow, you know, this black guy and this white guy are walking down the street and the cops are going to stop them and they're going to, look at the black guy first and they're going to ask the yep. white guy if he's okay. And that is fucking bullshit. Yes, it is. It, it's very intelligent writing and Marvel is using its platform appropriately. I mm -hmm. because they know that a series of this caliber will get a lot of eyes on it. And if you suck them in with one episode, they're not likely to drop it they will at least go through the entire episode one so they can see what happens to maybe one of the characters they feel attached to. And this is a limited series as well. It's not going to go on forever. I think it, how many episodes? Six is episodes. Six. So this is even shorter than WandaVision. So but they, the episodes are longer. True. So they know they have the opportunity and the platform. And like you, I am so happy they're utilizing it to the extent they are, and as they should. 
The only thing that I'm kind of like, eh, I was thinking about this on the car drive back from the mountains. It's like, so this series is going to basically be the same as WandaVision, which is, is her journey to becoming a Scarlet Witch. And I'm not saying I said this before and I kind of got like some angry uh, counterpoints. You can skip WandaVision. I don't mean like you can skip it because it's a bad show or anything. It's a great, wonderful show. But at the end, she comes out Scarlet Witch, Witch and she moves away from it. And that's kind of like its own story. She'll pick up in Doctor Strange. My yes. fear is that for this, this is, you know, Falcon's journey to becoming Captain America. And it's going to end there. And then we'll just pick up with him being Captain America. So you can just draw the line from Endgame here. And it could be a skippable show. I get it. I understand why something like that happens. I was just hoping that bigger things would happen. And I, it's not that I want to be a clown. It's just Kevin Feige really did position WandaVision as like the first chapter of a multiverse saga. So then you see Quicksilver from the Fox X-Men and you think, oh my God, Evan Peters is most certainly going to be Peter Maximoff. Right, he's, it, it makes sense. He's here. Yeah, he's here. So you think that's going to happen and it doesn't. So you're like, oh, I'm a little disappointed here. But I understand now. I, I follow, I don't know if you watch her, Grace Randolph from Beyond no. the Trailer. She made the really valid point that, you know, they still need those films to bring in the billion dollars. So the movie, the TV shows are going to be good. They're going to have quality, but the bigger stuff have, has to happen in the movies. Right. And that's fine. That's fine. I get that. Now that I kind of have cycled through that, I'm okay if these shows are more of a character study and they're going to highlight causes like systemic racism or in one division's case, complicated grief. Yes. And, and mental health. And we have to remember this is the first slate of Marvel shows. Oh, yeah. So I think that they needed to see what they could do before they invest more storytelling capital into it, because they're not pulling punches when it comes to budget, obviously with the visual effects and they are giving the creators carte blanche, but the storytelling capital, I think will come with that second round of shows we're going to get after these. And it's similar to the Mandalorian in the star Wars universe where the first season of Mandalorian, they saw how incredibly successful it was and then with the investor call that Disney had this past fall, they've really blown things up. Like they are spinning things off of Mandalorian now. Yeah. Giving that a greater platform for storytelling within that universe. I think we're going to get that with Marvel after WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Loki. After they see how these do, I think we will get to that point where they see yes, blockbuster movies are so important so you can spend that money on these shows. But also, you can start saying, no, this is important. You actually need to see this to understand what's going to happen in the next step, be that another show or another movie. Yeah. I, first of all, I 100% agree with everything you said. The thing about Mandalorian, though, and I think why the bar was so unfairly high for WandaVision is you did have your baby Yoda and Luke Skywalker moment. Yes. And I don't know if it was just because of all the leaks with WandaVision that maybe, you know, Evan Peters was supposed to be that baby Yoda moment. Maybe the twins were, you know, but right. like, when you're watching Mandalorian and in that first episode and you see baby Yoda, you're like, what? And similarly <laughs> with the yeah. end of the second season with Luke coming in, I mean, I was spoiled 
with it because of the feeds. And it, it took me a while to get to that episode. In fairness, I was able to avoid it for like three weeks. It just took me forever to get there. But I genuinely, even knowing that was Luke, you're like, holy shit, this is the best scene ever. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is big. You this, feel this is big. What I'm watching right now, it matters. Yeah. And that's, and that's the only thing that with WandaVision, I wasn't like, this matters. Like, of course, she, you know, she adopts the name Scarlet Witch and she has her new costume. And she rides off into, you know, the mountains. But I, I missed that point where maybe Doctor Strange would have come in and said the magics are being abused, you know, I, and yep. I know that's such an Avengers disassembled quote, but maybe that's something they're going to put down the line. But going back to Falcon, the Winter Soldier, I've been pleasantly surprised with it. I think this conversation is a little too deep because I want to ask you very vapid questions. Let's let's go through some vapid <laughs> right now. We're gonna switch it up. We're, so, so let's do some vapid questions. We were we're gonna do the rundown of the episode. <laughs> getting everything from we're this good, episode. We're, you're gonna get everything, listeners. You're seriously such a fun guest, by the way. Like, <laughs> like I'm so glad to have you here tonight. By well, the way. thank you. So let's get some vapid. Shit. Okay, let's be. Totally surface level. Okay, like how cute are Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie? Oh, the part of me wants to shout kiss at the screen all the time. <laughs> and I don't know if you ever saw 30 Rock, but there's an episode with Kathy Geis where she's seeing two people reenact a soap opera scene that mm-hmm. she likes and she just shouts kiss, kiss, kiss. And that's what I want from them sometimes, but also their dynamic. It's obvious that they as actors have worked on their dynamic as characters. And it shows It shows that they invested time in one another and how they want to do things because it's nuanced. Things are not written like that within a script in terms of how they are interacting with one another. You'll get some short directions, but you're not going to get that vibe that they're giving one another. and how they play off of one each other's frustrations and conclusion. It's, it's so good. I love watching them together on screen. They have such beautiful chemistry. And I, I want to piggyback off of what Warpath Dylan said last week about Anthony Mackie in that Black Mirror episode about bromance and love taking on very different forms. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily want them to be lovers together, I love their bromance and I love the love that is born out of that bromance. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And (laughs) you're like, where I'm I'm like, I want them to kiss, but also what they have going on is so good. And the characters don't realize it's good. And that's what even better is. I know they are interact. They are depending on one another. They're actually utilizing one another's strengths while going through this journey together, but they don't. Yet. So I am really looking forward in this series to them understanding and appreciating one another and what they bring to the table. And I think we got closer to that this episode, but we're not there 100 percent. And Madrox, I'm I'm sorry. I'm not I, I'm not not screaming at the screen saying kiss, kiss, kiss. I just want to be very clear. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> like I am there too. I'm sorry. And I was yes. like, let's be vapid. I'm like, no, let's have a, like a long convoluted conversation about bromance and like heteronormativity and how it can translate into love or whatever. No, they 
are adorable together. I want to see them hold hands and get married and ride off into yes. some tickets. They're adorable. Yes. But if they stay status quo as, as, as they are right now, I'm fine with that too. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a fuck, Mary kill. Yep. Fuck, Mary kill Falcon, Bucky, Johnny Walker. All right. Um, and I'm going to take them as of this episode because we all know different things outside that have been in the comics or things like that relating to these characters. I'm taking them as of this episode because I have some thoughts on John Walker. Yeah, I call him Johnny Walker because I'm an alcoholic, by the way. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you should sue them, by the way, within the Marvel Universe. But I would marry Falcon. What a guy. What a fantastic human being. Just all around great. He has the medical background from when he was on active duty. He's doing things great for his community, for his family. Sign me up. Okay. I'm ready to put a ring on it. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. So, um, Falcon, call me. <laughs> Do you hear that, Anthony Mackie? Yes. I would fuck Bucky. Yeah. He's pretty. He's so pretty. He's so pretty. And I feel he would be a good lay. Yeah. I just feel he has experience. He's over 100 years old. (laughs) Some techniques on you that you never even knew existed. I'm gagging right now. I love how thoughtful your answers are right now. Uh, well, the next one is I just kill John Walker. I just, we'll get into some reasons within the episode recap, but what a fucking tool. What a tool. But you know what the worst part is? Like, I would end up with someone like John Walker. I always <laughs> gravitate towards assholes. Not that my husband's an <laughs> asshole at all. No, 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 not at all. But like, I've always like, I can just see myself falling for like that jerk who like mistreats you. And it's, you know, on the surface supposed to be the all American, but is totally not. Oh man. I dated a lot of those before I ended with my husband who is, my husband is totally a Falcon. Oh, you know. And that makes me think that John Walker would be a good gay porn character. SeanCody.com. Yes. <laughs> this episode sponsored by. <laughs> Thank you, Sean Cody. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't. He is a, even looking at him as Captain America. Oh, you just want to punch he, his face. He is a men.com storyline in the making. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, Yes. Yeah, no, I'm 100% there with you. And like, you don't even pay for it. You just find it on like Pornhub or something like that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Don't pay for John Walker. You do not pay for John Walker. Um, I was going to say something totally obscene, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> we got to keep it friendly here. Yes. Um, okay, so one of the things that I find that's so curious about the characters on the show, Sharon... Oh, wait, I don't want to spoil anything for you if you don't know Cassie announcements. I'm sorry. Uh, well, y- uh, yes, go ahead. You okay. go. Okay, Do, here, how about this? Let me ask a very general question. I feel that Captain has very intimate 
relationships with everyone in his life, whether it's his best friend, girlfriend, or a fling out of Peggy, Sharon, Falcon, and Bucky. Who do you think is Steve's true love? Because we got, we got some Stucky stands. I'm a Stucky stand, but I also can see the chemistry between Steve and Falcon, but obviously he he chose Peggy, but he also had like that little kiss with Sharon. So who do you think is his true love? I think his true love is probably Bucky and it's beyond the romantic love. It is the love of his life, no matter how you divide it up. Okay. He is that committed to that other person in his life. So I, I ship them, obviously. How can you not? Yes. Uh, the romantic partner, Peggy. Although mm-hmm. it's, I don't know, she's English. He's Captain America. <laughs> you know, it, it, I don't know. It seems sort of weird to me. I love their love story, whatever. And they end up together. He goes back in time. <laughs> But also there was so much emotion in that parting scene when he gave the shield to Sam and Bucky was there and Bucky knew. Oh yeah, 100%. He knew. He absolutely knew what was going down. So there are a lot of loves. His overall love of his life beyond any person is Lady Liberty. I mean. (laughs) Oh my God. That's right. He he loves his country very much. He does. I... You know, I don't disagree at all with your response and your answer. I think Bucky is the love of his life in a very different way than we probably conceptualize love in modern society. And I think he goes with Peggy because that's the story. That's the arc. I definitely think with Falcon, it's his best friend. And I think Falcon is what Bucky should have been. But... You know, but Bucky is now the damaged boyfriend that he wants to fix. You know what I mean? And that's where they have their chemistry. And Peggy was the safe choice. And Sharon, I mean, I don't know. I I don't dislike Sharon Carter at all. But I feel like that was kind of shoehorned in and didn't really yes. go anywhere. Maybe it'll be tackled upon in this series. Who knows? Maybe. But is something you brought up in terms of arrows, in terms of how... Friends Relate. One of my favorite books is Brideshead Revisited, which is by Evelyn Waugh. I don't know if you've ever read it. I haven't read it. Um, And it's set in, let me think, it's in between World War I and World War II. And it's basically the story of a man who's reflecting on his life up till then. He's serving in World War II and he looks back on his life and he's in his 40s in World War II. And he had a really great friend in college. And at one point he's talking with his friend's father's girlfriend or mistress, longtime mistress. They are on vacation in Italy. And the woman turns to him and she basically says that, oh, the English, it's so English and so Germanic for men who are developing in their late teens and early 20s to fall totally in love with another man and is their their person. And then they grow out of it. But the concept was there that two young men 
in their formative years are probably closer with one another than they are with a girlfriend or something like that. And if you apply that time period to Cap and Bucky, they were growing up in the 1930s where this story is set, where that is sort of the understood sort of norm and how young men interacted probably from the late Victorian era up through the world being turned upside down in the late 30s and early 40s. Do you follow Geeky JP? Yes. I want to have drinks with you and Geeky JP and just be a fly (laughs) on the wall there with that deep cut right there. No, I absolutely agree with you. And especially when you think of that era where gender and sex was completely a stereotype, right? The mentality that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I mean, that came later on, but you understand what I'm trying to articulate here you would have more in common with someone of your own age. And I think Bucky and Steve are absolutely that. Yes. They are each other's person. Why roll it to Grey's Anatomy? They're each other's person. That's, I mean, you just gave Stucky a whole new level and a reason for existing on Tumblr, the now defunct Tumblr. (laughs) So do you think we're going to get any X-Men references in this. I would love it if we did. I don't know if we will. It depends on how the story rolls out in the remaining episodes. And if there is a mutant reference, I think it would be a surprise one in an avenue we're not considering. And I am putting on a bit of clown makeup right now. I think it should be... Listeners, he's painting his face. Yes, I'm painting my face right now. I am getting the pancake makeup warmed up <laughs> in hand so it goes easier. I think it's going to be Gambit in Louisiana. That is what I want because we know that Sam's family is there. It could be an incidental sort of encounter. We know that Gambit as a character has been kicked around forever in development hell in terms of the Fox movies. And it could be a way just to have a, a sort of backdoor character reference. And if you really want to roll it into what's going on in Europe, we know that sometimes he's gallivanting over in Europe because of everything that happens in that first Gambit mini. Yeah. So there are multiple ways he can be applied and it doesn't have to be overt. It's not one of those mutants that has to be in your face this is a mutant, they are using their powers for something. It can be something super incidental with him as a character. I 100% agree with that. I would love to see a Remy reference in Louisiana. I, the reason why I asked that question is because Marvel does such a great job at surprising fans. And we were all thinking it was gonna be WandaVision where the mutants are gonna come. And, you know, we got a little bit of a nod with Quicksilver, you know, outfit. Yep. We have Madripoor already in the credits here. And obviously that's a location that's very significant to the mutants. I'm curious if they're going to throw us another one. Just I think because, they will. Yeah, I think I, they'll I, do something. Or maybe even the Fantastic Four. It could be a Fantastic Four. Yep. We know that Fantastic Four is coming before any mutant-based movie. I think even before Deadpool 3. So I, it makes more logical sense for them to do that. But like you just said, it, they're not logical. They will sprinkle something in, 
and they'll re they'll be revisited in five years or something <laughs> like that. Exactly. All right. So why don't we jump into our episode recap and Madrox, you're doing the first half. Yeah. So I have the first half and first off, I want to draw attention to the title of the episode. It's the star spangled man. And that can really apply to multiple people in this episode. If you see this as the episode title, you're thinking, who does this apply to? Is it Sam? Is it Bucky? Is it John Walker? And something that really stuck out to me about the previously on, which are good recaps because sometimes you forget all of this stuff and they do a good job of drawing your attention to something that's going to be an important through line with your current episode. It's Sam's quote about a symbol being nothing without the women and men who give them meaning. So that symbol is sort of hollow. And I think that the way they edited that together with showing the reveal of John Walker as the new Captain America, I think it takes away a little bit of the legitimacy of that shield because it's framing, well, a symbol needs someone to back it up and there's this fool who just got rolled out by the government who is now the symbol. Yeah. And this is a, an interesting comics related note. So I only had a few comics that I held on to and actually owned growing up. And one of them was Captain America and the Falcon 171, which I reread last night to prepare just to see what was going on in the episode. And one of the things is see the Falcon's dynamic new wings that's advertised on the cover. Oh yeah. Cool because you know you see his wings in action in every episode. And I got to this quote that Iron Man is thinking about on page 27 of the comic. And it says, this country can't afford to have a great symbol like Cap be destroyed. And I was blown away because there was so much talk about symbols and symbolism in the first episode. And then I read this comic that I've had for decades. It's the only Captain America comment comic that I owned and it's talking about that symbol and how we can't afford to let Captain America in the comic it's Steve Rogers Captain America in the show it's the concept of Captain America go away it, yeah. it struck me out of the blue and, that, and not only the the concept but a specific version of that concept <laughs> yes it, yeah and the specific version the government is going for within the universe is a white man. So um, after that, we're opening up to a scene in a high school locker room and John Walker is walking around like a creep and peels off a sticker from probably some poor freshman's locker and sees his initials are still there because he played football there. And I guess his current partner, I didn't catch your name. Did you catch your name? I think her name is Olivia, Olivia Walker. All right. So Olivia rolls on in and... Um, they're reflecting back and forth and uh, John is having a tough time grappling that he is Captain America and that people are expecting him to be Steve Rogers. And he is exhibiting a pretty strong fear of failure and failing those expectations of the title of Captain America. And uh, Olivia is like, good luck passes off the pep talk to uh, Hoskins, his friend, 
And he walks in on John practicing saying good morning, just a very basic phrase because John does not want to fuck this up. He's preparing for something and he is about to go out. And this scene also shows us that things happened very quickly. Just two weeks ago, they were preparing for a different sort of tactical mission down in Chile. And now they're thrown into this new world and it's all PR. And Walker says, I just want to do the job. And Hoskins is explaining to him, you are doing the job. You can't just punch your way out of problems anymore, which I think is a strong indicator of where the character of John Walker was and maybe will go. The, there's a fantastic band performance out on the field. Everything is red, white, and blue. And we see that this is filmed for Good Morning America. So we have a big rollout sort of interview going on with John Walker and he trots on out there and he takes off his helmet as he sits down for this one-on-one -on -one interview with people in the stands watching and I swear he takes off that helmet it's a three-quarter profile shot and I thought it was Kurt Russell like <laughs> tell the family resemblance oh absolutely and you're like that's young Kurt Russell sitting on that stage so uh, he gives a lot of non-answers. He is not answering things directly at all. He is putting a lot of lipstick on this pig. Uh, <laughs> he's talking about what an honor it is. And um, he uh, is sort of a little humble, but also not totally humble about his record in the service and how he got the Medal of Honor three times. His body was studied at MIT. I volunteered to study his body as well um, because it's looking real good when he's at that punching bag. And we see footage of him wielding the shield and hitting targets. He says he doesn't have superpowers, but he does have guts, which is what Captain America always had. And it's sort of thrown back at him. Well, hey, did you ever know Steve Rogers? And he said, no, I didn't. But, you know, I really followed his career and everything. And then we see Bucky watching this interview. Oh, I know. Bucky is having none of this shit. <laughs> and, um, John Walker says, I like to make people feel safe, which is another just shut up. And um, he ends his whole, uh, you know, I didn't know Steve Rogers, even though I never met him, he feels like a brother. And Bucky yeah. is daggers at that screen. It, yeah. I felt for... Bucky so much. Oh, absolutely. It, I mean, your best friend is gone and he was like your brother and you're watching some D-bag that has had this mantle for less than two weeks talk about how much he feels like Steve Rogers was always his brother. It just, ugh. So then we cut to Falcon. Falcon is in a hangar. He's at a military facility and there is propaganda everywhere for John Walker as Captain America. And the phrase cap is back is plastered in big letters over it. And he's preparing to go on a mission and then Bucky shows up. And how the hell did Bucky get into a military facility like that? I don't know. <laughs> and he is basically telling Sam, you shouldn't have given up the shield. And Sam's like, it's done. I'm not happy with this either, but I can't do a take back seize on America and say, I, you know, I, I'd like the shield back now. 
And Sam is on his way to hunt down some flag smashers in Munich based on information given to him by Red Wing. Bucky does not see eye to eye with Red Wing. They have a loving relationship. And um, then we get a really, I think it's just a standout moment that sets up some comedy. They talk about the big three, androids, aliens, and wizards. Oh my God, that was such a great scene. So good. And Sam's like, we always end up fighting one of these. And Bucky's like, there's no such thing about, there's no such thing as wizards. And he says, what are you fighting now, Gandalf? (laughs) Sam asks Bucky what he knows about Gandalf. And Bucky says, I read The Hobbit in 1937 when it first came. (laughs) And they go on. It's wonderful. Oh, the banter is so witty. And especially when they're like, oh, but Doctor Strange is a wizard. And they're like, no. Doctor Strange is a sorcerer. Yeah. And they say, a sorcerer is a wizard without a hat. (laughs) Think about it right. I just came up with that. And then Sam is like, bye, see you later. And Bucky tags along on this mission. So he wedges himself into a transatlantic flight over to Germany, as you do. So um, Sam is about to jump out of this plane and Bucky is asking him if he has a plan because, you know, Steve always had a plan and Sam finally reveals that he has a plan and he jumps out. He has his wings, he's off into the wild blue yonder to find these flag smashers. And Bucky asks for a parachute and our heartthrob, Torres, tells him that they're flying too low for parachutes and Bucky's like, no problem. Rips off his sleeve and just jumps out of a plane. And like tries to break his fall by breaking all the twigs on the way down because he thinks that's an effective solution. He's a himbo, okay? He is. He just, <laughs> and the fact that he had a coat that had a rip-off sleeve. I love that. Or the threads. That was probably just some Velcro. <laughs> oh in that jacket, too. I just assumed he was strong, but yes, I think so, too. He probably has Velcro. He's ready for it right now. Right. So they're investigating this rundown building that has a lot of standing water in it and probably hatching mosquitoes and shit like that in there. And they see that these two trucks are getting loaded up with a lot of, maybe it's arms. They're not quite sure, but there's a lot of stuff going into it. And Bucky reluctantly admits that maybe Red Wing has some greater capabilities because Red Wing can see thermal signatures and that there are seven bad guys or bad people. Bad people. Uh, the bad people all around and maybe one hostage there might be a hostage so they spring into action and bucky is doing some super running sam does some super flying bucky gets into the trailer and talks to this person and even when i was watching it i'm like no 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 she is not a she is not a hostage oh i agree yes not a good person why are you so trusting? Because he's a himbo. Like, where, where's your basic instincts here? Come on, Bucky. And she blasts him the fuck out of the back of that truck. Oh, like, she does. Rolling onto the truck following them. And it's on. These people are super soldiers. And they all come out. And there's a very dramatic fight. The trucks are driving parallel to each other. So they're jumping back and forth. And it's crazy shit. 
And then you hear a helicopter and some patriotic music, which we used to be excited about, but now we're not because John Walker leaps out and uh, he's uh, fighting them. He's like, yeah, we're one big team. And uh, then uh, Hoskins, Lamar Hoskins drops out. It's his friend from earlier. They're fighting together. We have two dynamic duos going at it. And at one point, Bucky catches the shield that's being thrown by John Walker. And Walker sort of runs by and grabs it. So I think that Bucky might have wanted to hang on to it and deprive Walker of it. But we don't get to see that because Walker ran up and grabbed it and the fight continued. That's a great catch, by the way, because that's yeah. an interesting beat in the action sequence. It is. And it's split second. I had to rewind it when I was rewatching to see what it looked like. Yeah. And you can tell Bucky had it and he's like, ah, and it's too fast for him to do anything. Yeah. So he drops to below one of the trucks. He almost messes up his hair against that tire. I was super concerned. Oh my God. I even said to my partner, I'm like, no, his hair. <laughs> but he did save it. He did not run it against the rubber. Good. It's still looking good. And Sebastian Stan is still pretty. That's all we need. Right. His beauty survives this fight. And Sam drops down ribs Bucky for getting his ass kicked (laughs) then um, Bucky's trying to slow this truck down by putting his arm down and drag (laughs) there's just a lot of sparks as a result there's not much else happening and Sam is like fuck this and um, he grabs him and they take a roll in a field together it's so nice it's so cute it is meanwhile John Walker is up on top of this truck He uses a gun to shoot up one of the super soldiers. Like we haven't, I don't think we've seen something like that from one of our like big heroic characters. Usually it's something fancier than I'm just going to pull out this Glock and (laughs) this dude. And he does. So hashtag not my cap. And they eventually get sort of a stalemate up top, but it's not great. Um, John Walker fall almost falls off the semi. He is hanging on by his fingertips. Lamar gets his ass tossed off the back. John Walker quickly throws the shield so Hoskins can land on it and like skid to a stop on the roadway. And then Walker gets punched and he's launched off the semi onto the windshield of a car now following closely behind two racing semis with people fighting on top of them what's this person in germany thinking why why are you that close behind a semi i thought the same thing and then uh, you see people fighting you're like i think i should follow even closer yeah let me tailgate (laughs) right because that's gonna be a good idea because that's gonna end well so we're gonna cut to bucky and sam they're wandering down a road poor red wing he's out of commission oh they're Comparing notes about, you know, we have to find out where their serum is coming from and how are there eight super soldiers running around 80 years after the last ones were created? Something's gone seriously wrong here. And then we get a Jeep rolling up with Walker and Hoskins in it and some army lackey driving them around. And he opens with, so that didn't go as planned. And 
no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> and he's trying to offer them a ride. And Bucky and Sam, no, they're good. You know, we don't want anything to do with you. And John Walker says, well, we're pretty much dealing with one of the big three. And Bucky screams, there's no such thing as wizards. <laughs> Which is just perfect. But I mean, they set up a great comedic concept in this episode, and I'm here for it. I love it. Walker wants to work together. Bucky's, no thank you. Thank you, next. And says, just because you carry that shield doesn't mean you're Captain America. And by this time... Bucky and Sam reluctantly get into the Jeep because the airport is 20 miles away. So they think they can suck it up and just deal with it. So Walker continues to be an asshole and says that serum doesn't exactly have a great track record. No offense. When they finally get to the point of saying it's super soldiers, this is bad news. We should probably act on that front. Lamar says they showed up not because they tracked the super soldiers, but because they tracked Sam through Red Wing, which <sighs> so shady, so shady. Oh my God, I couldn't agree more. And um, Bucky is our smoldering king in this scene. He is oh. just, oof, he's staring like only he can stare. <laughs> uh, like the teen heartthrob that he is. Yes, I want a poster of him. and walker proposes a formal let's make a team and bucky is just flat out says no this isn't going to happen and hoskins chimes in he's like you're just getting your asses kicked hoskins reveals that his code name is battlestar to which my partner said galactica oh my god first of all yes that was my knee-jerk reaction too and Bucky's reaction was Battlestar, stop the car, and he jumps out. He's no thank you. We are not going down this weird name route that you probably gave yourself. So uh, then uh, Walker is really reflecting to Sam and trying to be like, you know, we're just trying to do the right thing. I'm not trying to be Steve. I'm just trying to be the best Captain America I can be. And it would be a lot easier if I had Cap's wingman at my side. And Sam's reaction is, it's always that last line, then jumps out and joins Bucky and they're walking away. And this doesn't seem to bother Walker, Hoskins, or their chauffeur as they just drive away from them. Don't even try again. See you later, we gave our effort. And then the last part of this first half, which I feel is crammed with so much. There's so much we could cover, but hopefully, Everyone's getting a complete picture. We see the super soldiers going to their safe house. They're served a fine meal that involves chicken livers homemade by a German dude and his wife. They're told that, hey, everyone's calling you Robin Hood and you'll have refuge wherever you go. The female super soldier, Carly Morgenthal, gets a text from an unknown number that says the sender had what they had their stuff taken by these super soldiers. And they are going to find and kill them. And around this time at the safe house, the other super soldiers are getting online and they see that Interpol has images of them. They have their names and it is being broadcast everywhere. And Carly says that she needs to know the others are committed because after tomorrow, there's no going back. So we cut to Baltimore 
where Bucky sort of is following his instincts and he and Falcon are walking through a neighborhood and a little kid comes up to Falcon and it's like, hey, it's you, Black Falcon. Oh. And Sam is like, I, I, I'm not Black Falcon, I'm Falcon. That's like me calling you, hey, Black kid. <laughs> and the kid's like, oh, you're right. And, you know, they continue walking. So they knock on the door of a home and a teenager opens up and they're looking for Isaiah. And the teenager's like, no, no, no. There's no Isaiah here. And Bucky's like, no, he is. Like, tell him it's someone from the Korean War and he'll know who it is. And so that does a charm. And Bucky and Falcon walk in and they are visiting the home of a forgotten super soldier, Isaiah Bradley, who was active during the Korean War and he went up against Bucky and it was a very intense fight. But what we learn is that after the Korean War, he was imprisoned for 30 years and there were experiments on him and he's fucking angry about it. I mean, he's so angry. He's shouting. He's telling them to get out of their out of the house. And it's just a really intense scene. And I don't, I'm curious what your perspective on it was because Isaiah looked like the shots they did of him at first, you didn't really get a look at his body. It was just a close up of his face. And mm-hmm. I was sort of expecting someone to be a little bit more elderly, a little bit more feeble. But then when it pans out, you see he's strong and he's definitely a super soldier. But then I was also curious about the whole aging thing. And then I remembered that Steve also aged. So we have yeah, that there. Yeah. But uh, I, it's such an intense scene and I want to know more. And it it resonates so much as you think more about it. Yeah. And I'm hoping we eventually get a flashback. I want to see what they're doing, but you know, even though the grandson is unnamed, we can assume it's Ellie. It's Ellie from the young Avengers and the young Avengers are popping up all over the place. We had obviously the twins in WandaVision, we have Ellie here. I'm just so excited because obviously Hulkling is probably going to be in Secret Invasion. We have Cassie Lang in Ant-Man 3. She's already been there. And we have yeah. Kate and Ironheart presumably will fill the role role of Iron Lad. So he's there. I'm excited. It's a great scene all around. But it ends with him kicking them out of his house. And when Bucky and Falcon are walking on the street, Falcon is angry about the situation. I mean, and rightfully so, because he just got dicked over by the government. So he's here like, what, now there was a black super soldier that no one talked about? And he asks Bucky if he knew about this. And they begin shouting and they get really angry at each other. And then the cops stop them. And let me tell you something. This speaks loads about my own privilege where I was like, oh, it's two guys fighting on the street. The cops are, of course, going to stop them. But no, that's not what happens. They ask Bucky, is this guy bothering you? In reference to Falcon. Yep. They look at Falcon and they're like, where's your ID? And you know what's happening there. You absolutely know what's you happening You do. There. there is no way to avoid it. And all of a sudden, Bucky's like, 
what? Like, don't you know who this guy is? And the cop turns around and whispers to the other cop. And it's like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. And by the way, like a whole crowd is gathering around them. And it's just so telling of today's world and everything that's happening. It is. With, yeah. with, with Black Lives Matter and the situations that are happening and police brutality and the systemic racism. It was such a well-crafted scene. It's probably one of the most powerful scenes that we've gotten in the MCU in terms of political commentary. Yes, it was social resonance. It's incredibly important, like we were talking about earlier, that this scene was included. It is not just exclusive to the first episode. This is a through line and it's a very important through line for this series. And the through line is going to be going on, as you just said, through the entire series, because they have said that Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to cover very heavy themes. So they're not shying away from it. I love it. Falcon doesn't have his ID, whatever. The cops go into the car now that they know who they are. They find out that Bucky is actually, you know, there's a warrant out for his (laughs) arrest because he missed a court appointed therapy session. So we flash over to the prison where Bucky's, therapist meets the boys and i love the therapist i think the actress she's so good yes wonderful she's so commanding she just walks in and she's here like bucky we're going into a session and she goes oh no sam come in you're coming too and i understand why sam is like okay yes i will join him on this therapy session but i want to just note the actress because the actress comes in And she has to deal with so many different characters and she does such a great job of interacting with them. She talks with John and we find out that they have some kind of history together. And I don't want to say that she now sees him as a contemporary or something like that, but I think she, on some level, the actress played it off with her knowing that this man needs her respect in the context of the situation because now he's Captain America, but she doesn't necessarily agree with him because that was a pretty douchey move when he's here. Like, hey, by the way, he's not going to have to go into therapy sessions anymore. She's like, but wait, how, how? And he's here, <laughs> a, like he pulls like a Fonzie yeah. there. It's like, hey, it's me. So creepy. The actress handled all those layers so well. And then she jumps we- to- who is this actress and can we get her on the pod? I know. Oh my God. I know. Well, you know, she I is a, she is our person to find on Instagram and message and get blocked by. Oh my God. You're talking about Victoria Blade, aren't you? From WandaVision yes. and my obsession yes. with Victoria Blade. Yeah. Uh, emails to her publicist, DMs into her account. Listen, it's fine. Victoria Blade, you're always welcome. You're always going to be like the love of my You're life. always welcome, but you're getting edged out, girl. So. <laughs> you're right. Um, so then she goes off to Sam. And she handles that scene again beautifully with Sam. She's like, hey, actually, I do know a lot about you. And then she jumps to Bucky. And then, of course, they go into the therapy session. And I thought the therapy session was a highlight of this episode because she's forcing them to come together and they get into like a little like squabble about like, oh, are we close enough here? Let me get close to you. (laughs) And then she's like, great. Wait a minute. Are you guys staring at each other? And they're doing another stare off, which... (laughs) absolutely adorable it's so funny but here's the brilliant part of this series because for as much humor as you get and as great as the chemistry is between sebastian stan uh, sebastian stan and anthony mackie it takes a very serious turn and bucky says 
I can't believe you gave up the shield. You gave up the shield that Steve gave you. And if that means that Steve is wrong about you being his successor, he was wrong about me. And holy shit, like my heart sank because you get an insight at Bucky and what makes yes. him pick. He's not jealous Steve picked Sam. He's upset that if Steve wasn't right about Sam, then maybe he's irredeemable. Maybe his story can't have a happy ending. Maybe he can't make amends for all of the atrocities he mm -hmm. committed. And then Sam looks at him and goes, you and Steve will never understand what I did and why I thought was the right thing. And again, it's the layers in that of the systemic racism of the identity that he had to grow up being told he was of being a second class citizen. Just because you have your rights as a citizen doesn't mean you're growing up with any privilege, moral or financial, which now we understand Sam does not have either. Yep. And he gets up and he walks away. And that was such a great scene. Again, just another brilliantly crafted scene. So outside, Imposter Cap is out there and he tries one final time to recruit the boys and they aren't having it. And Imposter Cap then says, well, stay out of my way. And Battlestar's right there with him and they give each other the death stare <laughs> and they walk away. And I think that's the audience's cue that John Walker is a big D-bag. And I know, obviously... This is something we've already been talking about in this episode, but I'm going to say that I felt for John Walker in the first half of this episode. Yes. I thought he was very humanized. Look, he's hashtag not my cap. I not touching that with a 10 foot pole, but I understand what motivates him. His feelings of being inadequate of having to put on this media personality while on the inside ha suffering from imposter syndrome while at the same time, being uh, symbolic of white supremacy and systemic racism. It's a very smart way they rendered him. But then he did this and I was like, fuck you, bro. You know what yep. I mean? Like you're an asshole. Like you are actually going to be the villain of the series because yeah, he, he turned the corner in that scene. Well, he, and he couldn't be Steve. Like Steve would have, if he truly wanted to be Steve, he would have, kept his heart open. He would not have said that. There's where you see his anger issue to what you were saying. We were going to see a little bit of his personality come out and there it is. And it's going to play through for the rest of the series. So the boys then decide they need to go see Zemo because when Isaiah was talking about his people in reference to Bucky in that scene, he was actually referring to Hydra. And that was, again, a very brilliant scene because Sam was like, no, don't take it personally. And it's like, no, 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 it's not about race. It's actually about Hydra. Yeah. And so the boys go off to go get Zemo and elsewhere, the Flag Smashers narrowly escape their persecutor via a plane as Joaquin, our beautiful Joaquin, and his squad takes down the super soldier who is after them. And that's where we end the episode. Yeah, that there was so much packed into this episode and so much storytelling. And what I really appreciate about this series, it's a big contrast from WandaVision in terms mm -hmm. of storytelling pace, obviously longer episodes and fewer episodes, but it also is sort of a different genre. Yeah. You're getting a lot of action here and you are getting what you think of when you think of Marvel in oh. this series. You're getting the big action sequences, but they 
also now have time to really do a good job of character development, which is a lot of what WandaVision was at its core. So this is them remixing their two big concepts into a limited series. I agree. The From that opening scene, I was like, oh, here we are. Here's Marvel with all of the action. The opening scene from episode one with Falcon. Yes. I was like, this is it. And I hate to sound like this in, in terms of pigeonholing viewers because my best friend Phil is going to be on this show and he's going to talk about one of the episodes. But I was like, oh, Phil's going to love this opening because Phil is such a, like, he loves the action sequences. He loves all of that. And he was here like, yo, bro, like, it's kind of boring. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. But what I think the show is now what we're seeing is that they're adding layers to it and they're making it smart. They're not just giving us a blockbuster or an action film. They're actually going to deliver those layers that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. So Madrox, before we dive into all of our fields, we do actually have quite a few listener questions. All right. So why don't we tackle them and then we'll talk our general fields and go through our notes as well. But I wanted to get them. I usually try to save these towards the end, but a lot of these questions are just so relevant to the episode. And I think organically we'll bring them up. So yeah, our first question is, well, it's not a question. It's like, oh my God, so much. <laughs> yeah, agree. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. I, I mean, as you can tell from the recaps, like it, there's a lot in this episode. And as Madrox said, a lot was crammed in to 45 minutes. This isn't a CW show. No, I was so surprised at how much they actually fit into it. And each scene was dynamically something different that was important. There was no fluff. They cut out the fat from this episode. And what you have is all prime. How great was the therapy session part of the episode? It was great. It was fantastic. I, it, again, they are showing a different aspect of mental health, which I think is needed. Mm-hmm. They are sort of normalizing therapy for someone who went through PTSD and the insistence that, no, this is a good thing. It, you can't just say, no, not any more sessions. This is something that's absolutely needed. And it pays off in that session because he actually said something very substantial and very at the core of his anxiety and concerns right now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think this also demonstrates that soldiers who go off to war and they come back, they feel disenfranchised and there's not a lot of resources out there for them. So something like therapy is life-saving for them. Yes. And I love, again, the therapist. I'm going to look up her name. Hang on. Let's look up her name because I don't know her name. We need to find this woman. Hang on. Let me look up her name. All right. What is her name? Okay. I think I have her here. Okay. Her name is Amy Aquino. I'm saying that like my Cuban Aquino. Amy Aquino. Amy Aquino plays the therapist and I'm obsessed with her and we're going to find her on Instagram. <laughs> yes, we are. Amy, if you're out there, call in. So Amy, her is on the screen right now. Right there. And we'll put we, you live on the air. We will FaceTime you. And I'm sorry if I butchered your last name. Amy okay. A. <laughs> Amy A. Oh my God. Are we seeking Amy? 
We are seeking Amy. Yes. Listeners, okay. if you seek Amy, please let us know. Yes, and bring Brittany with you. Because we don't know unless you tell us. The Bradleys. Will we see the Isaiah Bucky fight? Yeah, I think we'll get a flashback. I think we'll get a flashback. It's definitely not current day. Yeah. Yeah, I really hope we do get a flash. I think that'll be a missed opportunity. I think it depends on the budget, to be honest, and how the pandemic affected production schedule. I don't know where Falcon and the Winter Soldier stopped production and where they picked up again. I know WandaVision had to go through some reshoots and pickups, but they were largely at the end. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I would hope so. I I think if you're going to introduce a character like Isaiah and you're going to say that he was prominent during the Korean War and him and Bucky had this huge fight, it would feel weird that we don't get a flashback to that, especially since WandaVision took the time to do flashbacks. Agreed. And with the intensity of that scene... I feel that people want more from that character. Oh, I agree. Yeah, and he's a great character. I hope he's here to stay. Yes. Obviously, we know Eli is here to stay. He's not going anywhere. All the shaky cam. Um, I don't really notice cinematography that much. I didn't notice it. Um, and it, I can be sensitive to that, and it didn't bother me. Oh, wait. Do, did you watch Battlestar Galactica? No. Okay, because they do the shaky cam quite a bit. And then obviously with Battlestar in it. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm sensitive to that as well. I I didn't notice, but I'm not a big like cinematography nerd. If there was something specific about that, uh, listener, please, you know, DM us. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll happily chat about it. But yeah, I think one of the things that Marvel does really well is that they experiment with different modes of storytelling and obviously a camera and the director's approach to using the camera is a large part on how we view this world. So I love that they're incorporating different techniques. Yep. Okay, this is a fun one. The homoerotic scene of Bucky and Sam rolling together. I mean, it's beautiful. Who wouldn't want to roll with either slash both of them in a succulent german meadow come on my god i know and it's just i would love to just be in falcon's arms like he has nice arms yeah he does oh my god that smile can you just imagine where the fuck is sharon did you know sharon was gonna appear yes because i saw her in the credits of the first episode but i have feelings on the actress oh Warpath because her. I know I listened to last week's episode and I was grumbling the entire time. <gasps> My only exposure to her, and I know that she's fairly prolific, aside from um, obviously the Marvel movies where I'm familiar with her, was Brothers and Sisters. And I detested. Listen. Rebecca. Rebecca is dead to me in Brothers and Sisters. I watched Desperate Housewives if I was on the sofa and brothers and sisters came on, I watched like the first five minutes. So I don't even know what happened in that Sally Field familial saga. <laughs> it's so good. She, Sally is basically my TV mom, but Rebecca, Emily Van Camp. I, I really want to appreciate her more. And I think the series is going to deliver. Well, she will deliver in this series and I'm excited for it. I'm, I, I'm here for it. I want to see it. 
I liked her in Everwood. I have a soft spot in my heart for Everwood. Obviously, Brenda Strong was the mother at the beginning and mm. also died and obviously Desperate yeah. Housewives. But yeah, let's see. I I have no feelings on Sharon Carter, to be very honest. I I'm I, I hope they do something really great with her. I think I'm she cool I liked her. her. I liked her in Winter Soldier, loved her cameo in Civil War. I have no grievance. I'm here for her. The arrest scene. Yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of already touched upon it. That was a pretty intense scene. Yeah, it, it was tough to watch, but so important to watch. So important to watch. That's a really great way of putting it. Yeah, I think it's very telling of today's world. I loved how the crowds were kind of forming. I didn't notice if anyone had their cell phones out. I didn't notice either. I noticed the crowd. I don't think they had their cell phones out, but I, I, I may be wrong I'm going to have to start putting Disney plus, like I'm going to have to get another laptop just so I can have it. So I can go through the episodes when we're doing this, but yeah. I'm, I don't think there were all the cell phones. If there was a cell phone, it wasn't all the cell phones. It was definitely the crowd for me and watching it. Yes. I just, I can't, you know, it, it goes to show the levels of systemic racism and how complicated and nefarious it is and how it can mask because the second they find out who he is, they're like, Oh, we're so sorry. Oh, 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 oh that's you. Oh. oh, that's you. Oh, we're sorry, sir. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was just, no, I'm not here for that. No. But I, again, as you said, so perfectly important scene to watch and I'm glad it's out there and I'm yeah. glad people are being exposed to a narrative like that. And that's it. That's it for our listener questions. So, Madrox, what are your general feels for this episode? Extremely positive. I think it advanced the story a lot. The characters are becoming more developed. Mm -hmm. and you can see the direction we're going, but I'm not counting out a weird swerve. I can see a weird swerve coming if they really want to do it and throwing something at us we don't expect. Yeah, I don't, it's Marvel. I, I, I'm expecting some kind of like sharp turn at any moment, but you know what really did surprise me was how they humanized John Walker in that opening scene with his wife, Olivia, who is a totally new character. She is not in the comics and I don't know much about John Walker, but I did the quick Google search on Olivia just to see if she was Loki in disguise or something like that. And she's not right. But, um, I, I like that. As I already said, you know, I think there are layers to him that make him more than just this, you know, white supremacist, you know, systemic racism symbol. I think, you know, he's someone who has had a journey and I'm glad that we, we got him fleshed out. It makes him, it makes it easier to hate him. Yes. <laughs> Not harder, easier to hate him, especially yeah. when he does that at the end. But I really love that opening scene. I'm glad we have Battlestar in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to watch uh, John Walker and Battlestar's interactions with one another and see that they are similarly close. Just like I think we wish that Sam and Bucky will be by the end of the series. Yeah. I also thought they were just, you know, the doppelgangers of real Sam and, or excuse me, real Cap and Falcon. 
you know, and how it's sort of, I'm, I'm wondering where their relationship is going to be at the end of this. I wonder if Battlestar is going to be like, you know, this guy is just like really not a good guy. He's not cap hashtag, not my cap. And then go on the side with like Bucky and Falcon. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. And I think that's, probably gonna be you know something we're gonna see but you know what we're seeing with john walker and everything that happened with isaiah bradley i mean this is a large commentary on racism within the u.s government yes and marvel's not shying away from that theme and they are talking about it and i want to see how all of this is going to play out and develop I think it's going to end again with Sam becoming Cap. Yes. I think that'll be the ultimate arc, but I think it's going to mean a lot how we get there. Yeah. I, I'm not so sure about John Walker's durability though, because so maybe you can walk me through it. He's just human, right? Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I read it anything involving him um but this is sort of on i think that he's going to last throughout this series i think he'll be a player in the future and listeners you can't see i have full clown makeup on right now and i think because we know young avengers is coming and i don't know if that's going to be sort of the a Disney series, a Disney Plus series, where they bring the, all of them together, sort of like the Defenders on Netflix and how they sort of brought all of those separate characters together, or if it will be a movie. But I have a working clown theory that let's, let's we're it. going to get some configuration of the West Coast Avengers. Well, we already saw because elements you, of the West Coast Avengers in WandaVision. Exactly. And you know that Marvel will take a story concept and put it in a blender and take what they need out of it. (laughs) Civil War, perfect example. That is not the Civil War comic event. Mm -hmm. Their own take on aspects of Civil War. I I agree. Do that with West Coast Avengers because we already have two of the pieces in place from WandaVision and US Agent is another one. Yeah, I would love it if we got White Vision and US Agent together, maybe Wanda. And then, you know, we got the Young Avengers coming together too. I agree. I was thinking about this. Is it going to be a Disney Plus like assembly or is it going to, are they going to assemble on the big screen? I think given that they're popping up in the Disney Plus shows, it would be weird unless they're going to start appearing in movies. You know, there's yeah. a big rumor that the the twins were in London as well. So, you know, sure. I I think what they're doing is masterful. I think Marvel has opened up the gates. The pandemic has given them time to like really plan out yes. where they want to go in the next phase. I'm hoping Black Widow will somehow play a larger role than just a one-off flashback movie. I think Agreed they're going to have consequences in that movie that are going to affect the present from, is it Wolverine? You know, it's been in the MCU this entire time to is, is, Oh, I was going to call her Wanda is Natasha back to life. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm curious to see how all of that's going to play out. And the big rumor for a while was that they couldn't release the Falcon, the winter soldier because it ties into black widow. Mm, interesting. So, 
So I don't, and like, and it's supposed to be after Black Widow. So yep. I don't know. I, you know, those are just rumors, you know, on like Reddit that I have to go through like when I'm like, can't sleep at like five in the morning. Yeah. But I'm curious to see all of these story elements and where they're going to go. And I agree with you. It's going to be a sharp turn at one point and something's going to happen that we're not going to expect, especially with Power Broker in the background tracking the Flag Smashers. I think it's going to be a very dynamic finale. We are going to see a lot happening. And apart from the story development, I think we're going to get some big action sequences. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if this is as good as it gets, I'd be like, uh, you kind of, you know, burned it already. Like, Mm -hmm. no, I think the action sequences are just going to get better and better. Here's the thing that I want to know, though. Is Steve dead? That's the thing. I don't think he's dead. I don't think he's dead either. So uh, obviously the government has written him off as dead. Like the the public understanding is he's long gone. Mm -hmm. But where is he in the mix? Why? And I'm glad we're not bringing him back in this series. He's an unnecessary element. But a part of me is wondering, like, he's watching this on TV. Well, so... Yes, I I politely disagree with you because I wouldn't have wanted Steve to come back because I think it would eclipse this really great narrative that we're getting. But at the same time, I'm like, well, organically, everyone's talking about Steve. Yeah. I wouldn't mind him coming in at the end and being like, I'm glad you got the shield back. And we know he's alive. I do think we do need Steve in some way, shape, or form, even if it's like a Stan Lee-ish cameo, just because I think there are too many unanswered questions there. But again, is that something that's going to be saved for the larger events like the movies, where we'll see, you know, Steve de-age himself and, you know, because he was old man Steve Rogers there for a while. Is he working for S.H.I.E.L.D. now? You yeah. know, I don't know. I, I mean, especially now that, uh, well, not S.H.I.E.L.D., but you know what I mean. Um, whatever government agency, but now that Nick Fury is up, you know, there with sword, I'm just, I'm curious. And I, I, I do think we need him. And that's something that I feel that WandaVision lacked was that big A-list cameo. And I would have liked Dr. Strange there as well. Yes, He would have been perfect. And so like for this, I, I would like Steve, but maybe here's where we'll get Dr. Strange, you know, (laughs) you never know. Yeah. I'm just really excited to see where it goes. We have four episodes left. They're going to be packed with everything that we want from a series that's branded as Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I hope that we continue to be surprised at some of the things that they are writing and putting out there as well in terms of social commentary and these really important touchstones for us as a society right now. And balance that with, make sure this is relevant in 20 years because you don't want someone to watch it and say oh this is totally a product of whatever year you produce something you want something that lasts so i hope with the writing and i have every confidence they will that it will be encapsulated in such a way that it is something that we can look at for years to come and still understand and appreciate and learn from yeah i i couldn't agree with you more I mean, they're telling a very important story and you have to have these difficult conversations. And hopefully 
the conversations we're having today, even if it's the result of a Disney Plus TV show, those will lead us to a better tomorrow. So yes. I agree with you. We're going to see these themes play out. I, I can't wait to see it. I am so happy they're doing it. I'm very happy with the show so far. So you dug into your basement recently. I and did. what else did you find? I was uh, reorganizing things and I came across some Toybiz figures because that's <gasps> a great line back in the day, right? Oh my God, it was the best line. And, and you, I did have... you collect it as it was happening? I did. Um, and I had some of my favorites and most of them are at my office that I go to once a week now. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're holding it down for me in my absence. And I have a Gambit there with his broken leg, his spring. Oh, my God, that's spring action. He's continually with one knee up. I have the Fantastic Four there with the totally invisible, invisible woman on this little disc that she glides on. Yeah, and, and that's the same mold they use for Mary Jane in that oh. box set. Yeah. So um, a few years ago, I wasn't into Marvel Legends because it, it what they had out there at that time wasn't really appealing to me. So I thought, why not get some of the older Toys Biz figures of people that you really like and you never had as a kid? So I did. And uh, you know how getting stuff on eBay happens sometimes where you get a lot and it's, you know some stuff you want and some stuff you don't because you don't know what to do with it. But now that I'm reading more X-Men books, I'm appreciating the ones that I left in the package back then. And they are basically all from the X-Force line. So we have super 90s aesthetics, the colors, the gigantic muscles that everyone had. Um, and I thought it would be- The fun. tiny feet. <laughs> the, the very tiny feet, how can they- stand on them. Um, they're going to break ankles. And I thought it'd be fun maybe if we opened one up here. Oh my God, yes. Podcast. So the one I selected, it's Richter. Does. Wait, hold him up I mean, a little bit closer to the camera. Yeah, there we go. Look at him. Oh my God, look, look at, at that luscious angles. like hair. Oh, look at it's it. It's like, like Pantene Proving hair. Oh, yeah, he's got the, the urge for herbal. And, <laughs> It shows. So, oh. uh, wait. Let me see the package wait. art. Let me see him on the package art. Oh, look, look at, at him there. Look at that. And he has power vibes. I yeah, he has. Power I don't know vibes. what that means, but we're gonna find out what. No, you know what? I love the vibes here. Oh my gosh, I, I I had that figure. I don't remember in what context I got him, other than I was collecting all the Toy Biz figures. I can't wait to see him out. And uh, we really need this as a Marvel Legends. So uh, Ryan, I know you're listening from here. Yes, Ryan. Right now. Do you hear that? Um, just saying that, you know, we need a Richter. We need a retro Richter. Go fight for us. Get us a Richter. So, all right, I'm going to crack this open. Yes, crack it open. Oh, this is exciting. I mean, this figure was meant to come out and give us power vibes. Oh, was he meant to come out? <laughs> and, it, and now that he's out, you can even see it. He has yeah, you get the one of the... Oh, yes, look at him. And oh, there's, my God. And, and there's a card. a card, Cyclops, from the original team. Yeah, is that uh, Fleer Ultra 94? It is Fleer Ultra 94. Yes. Yes. So I love my cards. Trading card. What could anyone else possibly want? I mean, you get Richter, you get a huge Oh, he comes with a gun. Oh, he comes with guns. You know, just a giant gun because it's the nineties. Yeah. I mean, he has big guns already in his arms, but right. 
Oh, okay. So he's out. My God. If I saw him on Grinder, I would totally be DMing him. Right? So look at the tassels. He put some work into oh my God, I know. like that. Look at the pants too. Oh yeah. The blue on the pants with the, I don't, I don't want to say it's a cheetah print, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's sort of a cellular print. Like it's different cells. It, it looks. And the pouches. Oh, yes. Pouches. So many pouches. And his headband. His headband, the, the shoulder pads. Oh, I love the shoulder pads. I bet they're like blow up. I bet they're inflatable. <laughs> oh my God. And before he he's goes like, out on missions, yes, one deflates in the middle of a battle and he's like, one second. Yeah, was it like, and it, it's like those floaties like when you're a kid, you're in the pool. Oh my God. Yes, it, Richter cannot drown. Okay, but you know what I want to see. With the power vibe, look at this. Look at that. You can wind right. him up. Oh my God. I haven't oh. seen is he shaking? He's shaking. It, it's that meme with the mannequin. Oh my god! Let's see. So, let's, see. Yeah. let's wind him all the way up and. Wait, can you put him on like your desk so we can see it? Can you can you get that angle? I'm. Let's see what I can use. We're gonna use the card. Okay. We're gonna put him up on the card. All right, let's see it. All right. So. I don't remember this at all. That's adorable. Oh, he's working his way off. I know. Look, I know. <laughs> oh, this. And I mean, it's an intense vibration sound. I don't know if you can pick it up. No, I can hear it. I can hear it. It's like slightly. a purring. He's heard, purring. Because he's, he's so happy to be in your arms. You know what I really love about this era of the five inch figures? I know there are obviously a lot of repaints that would come later down the line, but a lot of the characters got original molds. And yeah. someone like Richter, that is an original mold. Yeah, like, they, look at him. Yeah, like, they, they did not reuse this. Pack. Yeah, like who else are you going to use? Well, Avalanche, I guess. I guess. But we didn't yeah. get it, you know. Uh, we did get an Avalanche, but not with the, the power effect. Um, yeah, I love that figure. What's the articulation like? Uh, pretty good. I mean, let's see if his arms can do it. Oh, the shoulder pads are separate. Oh, look at that. <sighs> Brilliant. Full extension. Oh my god! He actually, yeah. some figures won't fully sit. He can. He sits. He He's, knows. He can sit. Oh my god! You can put him at like a table with. Like yeah, other he can figures. just sit at the side of my desk. Yes, look at that. He's looking at you. Now, did you really want him because you think he's such a great character? Did you just come across this character by accident? Or I just came across the, this. The it it was accident? included in one of those eBay lots with other figures. Oh, what uh, was the figure you were trying to get? I forget. It must have been, I think, probably Rogue. I wanted Rogue. Which Rogue? With the uppercut action? Or yes. is it her pink suit? Which other ones did they? We got a vampire, bat rogue. It was like... And then the we got Capcom. It was the super basic rogue. Okay, so like the first one with her uppercut action. Yep. The one yep. who's like more of a companion to companion piece to the gambit with his leg action. Yes. So I'm sure it came in a lot like that. And there are a few others. So if I'm on the pod again. Oh, we're gonna have you again. We can <laughs> dig into another one. I I want you to do your own spin-off. Like you are just <laughs> absolutely incredible. So, uh, I mean, I think we should definitely do a one-off show on the West Coast Avengers because we do have so many shows and that series can be good 
And the next arc is the worst trash you have ever read in your life. Madrox, it has been such a pleasure. I keep telling people like, yeah, come on the show. I only need 30 to 45 minutes of your time. It is the biggest lie because it's already, (laughs) we're eating nine o'clock now. Where can the folks at home connect with you? Yeah, connect with me on Instagram. I'm at Mac on Fleetwood. So it's like Fleetwood Mac, but Mac on Fleetwood. You can connect with me there. I post random things. I have some pet rabbits with my partner. So you can get some cute bunny pictures sometimes. Uh, Random records that I'm listening to. Marvel stuff, whatever. I just post once in a while and it's completely random. It's not branded at all. (laughs) I'm not going to be an influencer anytime soon, but I'm more than happy to have followers and to chat with people about random shit. So come on, Mac on Fleetwood, Insta. Yeah, well, I love what you just said about fans just coming together from all walks of fandom. And whether you're a seasoned fan or you're just starting off, like, let's all, like, start a conversation. Absolutely. All right, folks, I am the Uncanny Day Spring, signing off.